I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Pod podcast. It's been a hot minute. We took a break. Why? Because there weren't much going on, so what's the point? We would have just bored you with repetitive nonsense anyway. But we're back. I'm joined by my co-host, my compadre, Mr. Will Weir, and we've got a special guest, Mr. And I should have asked you this before we started, Sean, because I'm sure I'm going to butcher your surname. Is it Sean Devaney? Devaney? <laughs> you know, everybody wants to say Devaney, but there's no A in there, so it's just it's just Devaney. Devaney, there you go. This yeah. is why I should have asked before we started. Mr. <laughs> Sean Devaney from Forbes, from Heavy, and from a billion other places throughout the years. Um, super knowledgeable Celtics guy. Me and Wood are excited, man. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Before we get into the basketball stuff, we usually like to just kind of riff for a few minutes. So we'll start with Will. Will, what have you been doing over this All-Star break, bro? Yeah, man. It was uh, honestly like I got to a point where probably about three days ago, I was just ready for more basketball. It was nice to kind of, you know, tune it off for for a little bit. The All-Star game festivities helped kind of ease the tide, but really it's it's been kind of just waiting for the basketball to get going. But I think everybody all needed that time to to kind of recharge. So I'm I'm just excited for, you know, we're recording this right before the Celtics and Nets tip off to to reopen the quote-unquote second half of the NBA season despite, you know, basically 70% of the season already being over with, but just excited to get back into it. And Sean, you are you are a man of twenty four seven basketball. So how did you survive with zero seven basketball? I I was very happy to have a little time. You know, you guys remember that. You know, even just a few years ago, uh, what we would do is we'd have the All Star break, so all of us would be at the All Star game. The trade deadline would be right after the All Star break, and so we'd be at the All Star game where we'd have to ask all these players and the GMs questions about. Are you going to get traded? Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Uh, and then we'd get out of the all-star break and the following Thursday would be the, the, uh, the, the trade deadline. We, we'd all be like completely just, you know, just exhausted by the time the Friday after the all-star break. Uh, I, I like this schedule so much better where you have the, uh, you, you have the trade deadline just before the break, everything's settled. You don't have to go to the all-star break, ask all these questions. And then you get a week afterwards, just, just four or five days, whatever it is just to do just to do kind of uh, some recharging. So, uh, uh, you know, that was something that the players union fought for uh, in the last uh, in the last CBA. But I, I think the league was on board with uh, uh, with making those changes as well. And uh, I, I know a lot of the reporters are <laughs> uh, as well. Sean, I, I imagine in that old format, the drama must have been, you know, pretty intense. And I remember specifically the Boogie Cousins, I don't yeah. want to say an incident, but that situation from a couple of years ago. Do you miss any of that drama? I know obviously from an exhaustion standpoint, it's quite different, but the drama sometimes is partly what entices NBA fans. <laughs> yeah, and, and that is true. And I remember, uh, I, I think the Carmelo Anthony situation is probably the most intense one. I remember the Boogie Cousins one. I was there asking him questions about you know what was going to happen to him in 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 a few days uh and you know that that was pretty intense the carmelo stuff was was really intense because that had been going on for like two months before he finally got traded uh to denver um and and i I think that was what that was 2000 and geez 
now I'm drawing a blank, but um, I'm sorry, from, from Denver to uh, to New York. So that was uh, geez, 2009, I think, or something like that. Uh, but you know, it was it was it was really intense because that was going on for a long while before that, uh, and then we had to go there, and, and he had to sit. I mean, you are required by the league to sit and answer questions, so he had to sit and talk about this for you know. 35, 40 minutes, basically just people over and over and asking him again, like, why do you want to be traded? Where do you want to go? Do you want to go to the Nets? Do you want to go to the Knicks? Like that was the whole thing. Uh, so yeah, that was, it was, uh, it was a much different time. I do miss that drama a little bit for sure, but at the same time, you know, I like the rest. <laughs> to be fair, it feels like the start of the Celtic season, just on repeat, right? Why are you losing games? Why do you keep dropping games? Why aren't you shooting well? Why is Udoka calling you out every time that you lose a game in the media? It was uh, very similar. I, I would have uh, liked to have been a fly on the wall for some of those Mellow things. I, I grew up with, like, um, always been a Celtics fan, but I always liked watching Mellow play. Just that um, he had that ascetic-ness to his game, especially with that pull-up jumper. I just always thought it was pretty. Uh, I just wanted to throw that out there because Mellow was good, and I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for how good he was at the time. Yeah, that's true. When it comes to the Celtics, as I said, there was a bunch. I mean, we're talking about five, six comments that were pretty much on repeat for what? I'd say the first four months of the season. Well, I think that's fair. Four, maybe four and a half months. How were you feeling? Like, Where were you on the scale of, like, this isn't working to this needs more time? And this is where we see how honest you want to be. Because right now, you could be like, I knew they were going to work it out. And I was super chill. Or you could be more towards the other side, which is I was leaning a bit more to this side where I was just like, yo, burn this to the ground and rebuild like a phoenix from the ashes. Where did you fit in here? Yeah, you know, to me, it was all part of a piece because it went back to last year as well. And, and you know, where they were disappointing and, and a lot of the same issues had come up uh, back then. So, uh, you know, for me, I, I, I was thinking, uh, you know, when we got to February, that we'd have to be looking at, you know, potentially trading Jalen Brown like that. That's where the Celtics would have to be. Um, and, you know, obviously, I don't think they were ever going to do that during the season. That was never going to happen during the season. Um, when you get to, you know, whatever it was around early January, I think it was around, um, you know, you didn't go back to uh, the Phoenix game at the end of December, uh, you know, where they really started to play a little different. You know, they were still blowing leads here and there, uh, still doing some of those things. Uh, but, you know, they, they started to play better. They started to get Ime's system. Um, and, and so I, I think at that point you can kind of step back and say, all right, well, maybe this does need more time. But certainly, you know, up until the end of December, certainly the Milwaukee game on Christmas Day, I just thought this is you can't this is you can't keep doing this. You know, this has been a year and a half. It wasn't just the first two months of the year. It, it was this something with this group that that seemed to go back to last year as well. So uh, at that point, I, I was definitely thinking, uh, let's blow it up. This, you know, Celtics, uh, you, you know, need to go uh, into uh, into rebuild mode sooner than re- rather than later. Not rebuild, but retool uh, around Jason Tatum. Uh, but at the same time, it, 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 I think by the middle of January, I started to say, well, wait a minute, let's 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 see how this plays out uh, because. Uh, uh, you know, they they seem to start getting what 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 Amy, what Amy was uh, uh, was preaching and 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 getting it not just for the first three quarters but for the whole game. Yeah, it's it's been a fascinating season, especially when you think about it in the sense that 
say the trade deadline had been, I don't know, maybe three weeks earlier, more than likely the Celtics are complete sellers. Never mind buyers and bringing in, you know, making a major, a somewhat major move, bringing in a guy like Derek White, given the package. So, you know, I'm curious to know, Sean, what's your evaluation of, and let's focus on Ime Udoka here. I'm curious to know what your evaluation of him, of, is of him during this rookie year coaching Adam, myself, Adam, and our other co-host, Greg, you know, we, we were honestly, we, we definitely had some criticisms of him leading into the season, but he's really seemed to double down on, you know, these defensive beliefs, cutting down the rotation. And obviously we're seeing what this team has looked like in the past month and a half, or really since the turn of the calendar, as you mentioned. So how do you evaluate his rookie season as a coach up to this point? I'm impressed with this confidence because I think everybody else <laughs> was saying, you know, what are you doing? You know, you got you got to make some adjustments. You got to make some changes here. Uh, but, you know, uh, he came from from Greg Popovich and, and you know, both as a player uh, and as uh, uh, and as a coach, uh, you know, obviously he's had different stops in between there. But, uh, you, know, you know, I think Popovich is, is, is clearly his biggest influence. And so I think he can look at what Popovich's resume and say, I think I'm right. <laughs> you know, I think I think he could say that. Um, and, 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 and he made it pretty clear. And, you know, you, you mentioned that calling out players and stuff, he made it pretty clear that this is on the players to get this. It's not really on me to keep teaching them. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to keep, you know, drilling this into them. Uh, but it's on them to get it. And, and, uh, and, and it certainly seems like they have, you know, I was just looking at, at their, their defense since I was looking at since, uh, January 8th, their defensive rating is 99.8, which is just, it's head and shoulders. It not only is it first in the league, but I think this number two is like 103.5. So it's it's head and shoulders above everybody else. They're playing fantastic defense. Uh, and, and you know, that's, that's what he's been trying to get them to do all along. Uh, and it certainly seems like they've gotten it. I mean, one of the biggest adjustments he's made uh, that kind of coincides with this defensive jump, like the uptick, was moving Rob Williams into like that off-ball free safety type of role, getting and then just allowing him to roam around wherever he wants, uh, off-ball back to guard the perimeter, to switch onto whoever was on the perimeter that he felt like uh, he could deter a shot from. I feel like Rob Williams has probably been one of the most improved guys under Udoka. Do you think that that's uh, how can I put this? Do we credit Udoka with that with that with that development, or do we credit Rob Williams with kind of understanding where he fits within what Udoka wants to do? Like, who's deserving their flowers between this marriage? Because one of the two guys are doing exceptionally well, and the other one's benefiting from it. I just don't know which way I want to kind of view it. Yeah, I mean, I, look, Brad Stevens was never comfortable with doing that kind of thing with with Rob, and I can't blame him. I mean, Rob was, you know, he was making just dumb mistakes over and over. And, and I think, I think Williams would be the one to, to tell you that, you know, that, 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 you know, he wasn't, he wasn't thinking the game through. Uh, so I think Udoka, you know, deserves a lot of credit for that, but I think the maturity that Rob's gotten just over, uh, you know, finally being able to play, you know, he's, he, he hasn't been healthy, um, you know, finally being able to get on the court. And I think having Al Horford there has been, you know, huge for him, you know, just, just to have a guy next to him, 
uh, who can kind of be a guiding a, a guiding force for him a little bit. Um, I, I think that's really been huge for him. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, you've, you've got to give credit to Rob for that, uh, I, I think, first and foremost. Um, but at the same time, he just he, he wasn't mature enough before. And, and, and you know, he's, he's grown up a little bit, I think, this year. And for that, I think you have to give some credit to both Udoka and, and, and to help, help Horford as well. Yeah, as, as we look forward towards kind of this this stretch run, and, you know, I said before, quote-unquote, halfway point, there's, I think, 20, 22 games left. So it's really a sprint to the finish that we're looking at right now. What do you think are some of the key factors for the Celtics in, the, in this upcoming playoff run and, and really an Eastern Conference that is just, you know, it, it's a there's five teams, or excuse me, seven teams within five games of the number one seed. So it's still really up for grabs. And of course, there's a ton of X factors up and down that conference. But what do you think are some of the key factors for the Celtics down the stretch? I, I just ball movement, man. They've got to, they, you know, and, and I think that in a way that that Detroit game uh, was was a blessing, you know, that they lost that game and they lost it the way they did in the fourth quarter, the way that they just they went back to. Uh, you know, my turn, your turn kind of basketball. They weren't sharing it. It was just like, all right, I've got it. I'm going to take this shot. Now you've got it. You take that shot. Uh, and, and you know, they, they don't – they're not a great offensive team. They're, they're not going to be that, um, uh, you know, certainly under their current construction. So uh, if that's going to be the case, then, A, you've got to lean on your defense – but B, you've got to share the ball and get the best possible shot every time. Uh, and and like I say, I think that Detroit game was 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 kind of a blessing because they fell back into that trap that they've been in uh, so many times early in the season that we talked about. Uh, but but yeah, if they can keep up that ball movement, I think that's going to be the real key for them. Uh, and of course, look, I mean, you're not you're not playing in a vacuum, right? I mean, it's it's going to depend how good is Brooklyn going to be? Are they too far back to really make a charge? Um, you know, Chicago is going to get its players back. Um, you know, what, what, what about Miami as they get as they get healthy as well? Uh, you know, how are all these, other, of course, Harden and Simmons, you know, all, all these other factors? Um, you know, Karis LeVert in, in, in Cleveland probably isn't talked about enough in terms of what that move could mean. So um, you, you've got to look at the whole East as a whole. I mean, you've really got, uh, you know, eight teams that, that are pretty good that I could imagine – at least being in the conference finals. I mean, you've got eight teams that could be in the conference finals, and that means that you're going to have four teams uh, among that group that aren't going to make it to the second round. And that's, I mean, so it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch, but I think you really have to focus for the Celtics on maintaining the defense, keeping the ball movement going. One of the names that stopped the ball movement, and I want to talk about these eight teams in a moment, but this is my final jab at this player all season, I promise. You have to one, do it, Adam, don't you? You I have to do I, it. I have to. I have to. It's been a while. One of the um, one of the players that just didn't fit with the ball movement system, didn't fit, in my opinion, with anything Boston were trying to do, and I'm very curious. A lot of people disagree with this, so I'm very curious where you, where you what side of the fence you fall on. Was uh, Dennis Schroeder, somebody that I feel is... Uh, all style, no substance. Uh, I think is the best way of describing Schroeder's game. It's the most politest way to. Um, where do you kind of land on that? Because there were games where he single-handedly dragged Boston over the finish line. And to say he didn't would be, it would yeah. be a disservice to how good he played. But there were also games where he almost single-handedly destroyed the flow of the offense or he destroyed 
the ball movement that had been going on before Rudoka brought him in. And then you also had this closing lineup of Schroeder and Smart that was just an absolute monstrosity. But some people loved him. So I'm really curious whether you, you think he was beneficial or not. think they'll miss him you know certainly i don't think they'll miss him um you know i i think you're right in that uh he does that that that's been the knock on him throughout his whole nba career you know that that, that he is a uh sort of a ball stopper that uh that, that he does make things more about dennis Schroeder than than about the team and that's why he's been on as many teams as he has been that's why he did not get the big contract this summer that he thought he was going to. That's why the Celtics had him to begin with, right? I mean, uh, they wouldn't have gotten him if, uh, if if he was a better playmaker and things like that. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think they'll be fine without him. Uh, you're right in that, look, if you're going to get into a game of uh, my turn, your turn, he's not a bad guy to have because he's going to, you know, he can get, he can get his, there's no question about that. He can, he can get his, uh, but you know, if, if, if I would much rather have a guy like Derek white, uh, who I think can, can break down a defense, scramble a defense, make a defense react to him. Uh, and, and, you know, it, he might get, you know, that, that so-called hockey assist where he makes the pass out and then, and then, and then the next pass is the one that, that becomes the assist. Uh, you know, he's, 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 he's pretty good at that. Um, so I, I think they'll be just fine uh, without, without Schroeder. And I, uh, I'm excited to see more playing time too for, uh, for Peyton Pritchard, because I, I just think they play much faster with him. Uh, you know, the pace is better. Uh, and, you know, there isn't a team in the league, uh, except, you know, maybe the Lakers or, or uh, maybe, maybe the Heat uh, that, uh, that, that don't play well with, with, with pace. And so um, I, I think they'll be fine without Schroeder. Yeah, you mentioned Peyton Pritchard, and that, that makes me think of one thing that does leave me a little bit concerned for the Celtics down the stretch is their, is their lack of depth. And that's just from literally a roster standpoint. They just signed two guys to 10-day contracts the other day. They still have a couple roster spots that they're hoping the buyout market kind of fills out. But is that at all a concern for you that obviously with Schroeder and Richardson leaving, you bring back in White and you bring in Tice. Now, Tice ends up being more support in that front court, which is a little bit crowded, but still it's a lot better than having Enos Freedom on the back end of yeah. that, that front court rotation. So it's certainly an upgrade in that sense. But you're left a little bit weak on that you know wing wing type area. So is depth any type of concern for you as we head towards these last 20 something games yeah I, I i absolutely think that that's going to be a concern and you know it's 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 something that i don't think is going to be solvable through the buyout market you know we, we've already seen that it's been a very slow buyout market uh we've not seen that and, and you know there's still uh four days to to, to get something done on that uh, you know march 1st is when you have to sign somebody uh, to to have them on your on your roster for the playoffs. So, um, but yeah, yeah, we've already seen. You know, I, I think there's very few. I think one of the indications to me, especially on the on, on the wings, um, you know, the, that shooting guard type. Um, you know, the, the the speed with 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 which the Bucks went to sign DeAndre Bembry, uh, who's you know no great shakes himself, but 
is probably going to be the best wing that that winds up on the market. And the Bucks, as soon as the Nets let him go, they they descended on him. I thought the Celtics really probably should have moved quickly on him as well, and 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 told them they get he'd get more playing time uh, than, than somebody with Milwaukee than with a team like Milwaukee. So, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be any useful wings that come on the market when you look at the potential guys who are out there. Um, you know, I just, I, I don't think Gary Harris is going to get a buyout. I don't think Eric Bledsoe is going to get a buyout. So, you know, I mean, do you want Robin Lopez? Because <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what we're going to wind up looking at here. I mean, that's, I, it, it's not going to be, uh, I don't think, uh, uh, the kind of buyout market where you're really going to be able to solve some problems. I mean, if Boston do get Robin Lopez, I'm all up for the, uh, Robin Lopez Simpsons content. I know that he does a lot of <laughs> Simpsons content. I, I mean, it'll break his heart to leave Orlando. He's a big, big uh, uh, Disney World fan. But if we're able to sign with the Lakers, he can go from Disney World to Disneyland. So that, that that might soften the blow for him a little bit. I'm not sure if it's true, but I think don't him and his brother, Brooke, don't they own property either right near Disney or basically on Disney property? They're that. Yeah, they're fans. both. Right. Exactly. They're both. They're both Disney. Disney. Uh, uh, I think fans would be putting him on adult Disney fanatics. Adult Disney <laughs> fanatics. Yes. I do like Disneyland, LA, Disneyland, California. I haven't done Disney World, so I have no comparison. But Disneyland, California, is a very fun place to be. So if if we're talking like okay, so Ben is off the market. We're not really expecting someone like Gary Harris to shake loose. We'd, and even if they did, are we confident that Boston would would be the first team to acquire them? I feel like other teams would descend as well namely the Lakers who just need to keep LeBron happy anyway, shape or form between now and the end of the year. So we're left with Keelan Martin and Malik Fitz, right? I mean, that's who we're left with right now, but we've got, they're on 10 days, so they can easily leave if nothing works. Looking at both of those guys, and I kind of wrote some about this the other day, but Keelan Martin looks like he really fits into what Boston are trying to do, right? Super defensive, um, high IQ guy, good length, can't shoot a lick. It sounds like the perfect Boston <laughs> Celtics player, in my opinion. Semi Ozark part two. That's that's yeah. <laughs> less muscles, less yeah. muscles. Yeah, less muscle. Right? Streamline semi. That's what we're going to call Keelan. Streamline semi. Very good. So, uh, how do you do? You think either of these guys? I mean, look, we're not expecting them to be rotation players, but as a emergency backer which is really what you're getting off the buyout market at the best of times anyway. It's very rare you're going to bring someone in that's a true difference maker. So as, as a backup, do we? How do, I don't know how much NBA you watch outside of the Celtics. I'd never heard of Keelan Martin, really. Uh, Maddie Fitz, I, I still haven't heard of him. I've said his name, you don't understand. <laughs> like, do you think either of these guys have a chance of being on the team longer than 10 days or...? Yeah, I mean, like I say, I don't think there's there's going to be a lot of options, and and you know you're going to um, maybe maybe you want to get a veteran in who can you know play in a pinch, uh, you know whether it's a um, you know we, we mentioned before like a Joe Johnson, you know who uh, was with the team earlier and um, you know didn't play obviously, but at least at at, at four years old. Um, you know, is a good locker room guy, and if you need him to go out there, you know, you'd trust him to to, to play eight to ten minutes. Um, you, you know, you might want to get something like that. At the same time, look, this team has to get better at 
bringing in young players and developing them and getting them better. Uh, you know, you look at Miami and, and, you know, they're obviously the gold standard with that, but even San Antonio where, where, where MA was before, as we talked about, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've had a great history with guys like that, uh, that they brought in, um, you know, that, that not much was expected of and, and, and tournament to NBA players, you know, going back to, uh, you know, Bruce Bowen or, 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 or guys like that, Bryn Forbes, you know, you can, you can come up with a bunch of guys that the Spurs have done that with Celtics don't do that. You know, and if anything, the lottery picks that they've had, uh, other than, of course, the top, you know, the top, uh, uh, the top players that they've had uh, in terms of, you know, Marcus and Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown. But, you know, you get into the other the other picks that they've had. They haven't had great luck in terms of developing these guys uh, and, and they need to get better at that. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing them with with these two roster spots, bringing guys that they think they can develop into useful players you know, like like Miami has done with the Caleb Martin, uh, with Gabe Vincent, with the uh, Omer Yurt Seven. You know, th- those kinds of players. I'd I'd like to see the Celtics. Uh, you know, at least try to do that a little bit more than they've done in the past. Do you think, or do you see them attempting any of that this season with a guy like Sam Hauser or even Aaron Neesmith for that matter? With them getting a little bit more time, as we talked about, the depth is really lacking on that. You know, wing guard, and obviously, you know. <laughs> to Adam's joke earlier, shooting is always a need with this team. So two guys that theoretically could bring shooting, it, you know, Ime has been, you know, part of his success, the success for the team in general has been him cutting down the rotation. So do you see there being any opportunities over this last home stretch of Neesmith and Hauser maybe getting a little bit of run to see if there is something there where maybe there is an opportunity to develop and help in the immediate term? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I, I don't know what Neesmith has done, frankly, to to, to be as deep in the doghouse uh, as he seems to have been with Udoka. I, I don't know. I, I've asked around about that, and, and a lot of people don't know. Um, you know, a lot of teams still like him. I thought there was a chance he could have been moved at the deadline. Um, I think the Celtics still like him, you know, in, in the front office. But but obviously, you may, there's there's something going on there, I think, uh, that, uh, that, that, you know, that he, he just doesn't um, – he just doesn't seem to trust the guy. Um, and, you know, he hasn't made shots, but it, it's hard to make shots if you're a shooter uh, and you get, you know, eight minutes one night and then you don't play for two days, for two, two three games, and then you get 14 minutes. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to uh, to really, uh, uh, you know, gain the confidence that you need as a shooter. So uh, I think that's, that's one of the issues there. Um, I'd like to see Sam Hauser play a little bit, you know, see what he's, see what he's got. You know, he's, he's had some, some decent games in the G league and stuff. So uh, I'd like to see that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just, just going back to what I said before, I just think generally they've got to get better at that at, at seeing what they've got in the young guys. Um, you know, it, the unfortunate part is that November, December is the time to do that. And, and, and they didn't really do that with a lot of these guys. So the problem is with Neesmith, and I'm a, I'm big on Neesmith. I'm I've been pushing this. He came in as a sharp shooting prospect and turned himself into a free level scoring two way wing prospect. And obviously the value that came with that towards the end of last season, instead in terms of how tradable he was, drastically increases because he's more than a single skill player. But under Adoka, he's definitely being used more as a single skill guy, just being asked to curl off screens, catch and shoot. And somebody pointed this out to me recently. Beyond that, like early in his final, his second season with Vanderbilt, he had like his shooting was off the charts. What was it? It was like fifty two point two percent from deep, but it was on minimal games, right? Like he wasn't. It's not like he played the whole season. Yeah. Right. He went down hurt. 
But if you look at his numbers through like high school, his initial year in college, his three-point shooting was like below average. It was 33%, 34%, always hovered around that number. So did our vision of who Neesmith was coming out of college get skewed by those numbers? Or was the, the second season just cut short, but we were starting to see what he was truly talented at? And I think that's a question that uh, needs a bit more like expert, like deep dive, in my opinion, because I do think that we could be expecting this guy to be a sharpshooter, and I'll never forget him calling himself an absolute sniper after the Celtics drafted him, <laughs> and it's just not aging well for me. No. But if, if, if he's not that shooter, then they, the Celtics, Udoka in the Celtics organization need to start putting him in a position where he can play to whatever his actual strengths are. Yeah, it, it, it's a fair point, and I, you know, I, I was there in, in summer league this this past uh, uh, this past August in Las Vegas, and and watching him there, he was not a sniper. You know, I mean, he that was part of his game, but he was getting into the paint and and, and really just uh, you know he had that that game where he had thirty points. Uh, I think they were playing Denver or something like that. Uh, he had thirty points at halftime. Uh, and, you know, that was not just, you know, make, you know, sometimes guys have that game because they go seven for eight from the three point line. Right. But, but that was not what he was doing. He was, he was making everything everywhere and, and he was getting into the defense and, and stuff like that. And yes, it's summer league. Uh, but it, 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 it it's a fair point, Adam, because I think that it, it, it does show that, uh, you know, when you kind of unleash him and let him do what comes natural, what you can do in summer league, uh, you know, that's 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 he's probably more of a of a versatile scorer than than just a three point shooter. Um, but, you know, when you look at today's game, you kind of need him to be a three point shooter, especially with this team. You know, he's never going to be the guy who's going to get Jason Tatum type shots. So he's got to be able to be a be a floor stretcher. Uh, you know, maybe that's not natural for him, though. That's a, it's a good point to mention. He's more Jalen Brown than Duncan Robinson. I think that's the best way to explain it, right? Like he's more slasher than he is shooter, and that I think sometimes this is why I'm not huge on these. And I, will I want your opinion on this as well? Because I yeah. kind of jumped in when it was your turn. Um, but sometimes I think that's why these labels coming out of college can make or break a career. Because if you're labeled incorrectly. Uh, which I'm assuming in this instance that Neesmith was, then expectations for you to be to excel in a very specific aspect of your game, which could be the sole aspect that you're being asked to perform or produce with. Uh, if you can't do that, then your career is already on the rocks from the moment you enter the league. And I think that's um, that's unfortunate because I, I push this narrative a lot, but this is guys' careers. So if we're mislabeling them, they shouldn't pay the price for the media and uh, whoever were the scouts not being able to see past the fact that he made 50% from free on a limited sample size. To be fair, you also did mention his first quote was, I'm an absolute sniper. So, I mean, I think <laughs> well, he, yeah. he, he, he also kind of bought into that as did well. But no, I, well. <laughs> yeah, but I do think no, you're right, true. though. Yeah, and I think actually something that I was thinking about, Sean, as you were talking, is this is one of those interesting things that I think make the NBA draft so fascinating. Like, if we were to remove Aaron Neesmith from the Celtics, where he's coming into a team that's already ready to compete, and they really need him to fill that role of being, you know, really a three and D guy, like him turning into a two level guy, you know, would be great. But like Jalen, for example, was able to have a smaller role and then each year kept getting a bigger and bigger role. Whereas like, I wonder if a guy like Aaron Neesmith, would he have been better served finding himself with, I'm trying to think at the time of the draft, maybe like an Oklahoma city where it's like, Hey, 
go make all the mistakes you want and you get to to play you know you guarantee 25 minutes a night you can make mistakes you'll grow over time i think that's a really interesting thing to think about when drafting in general not just the celtics but everyone in the league of how different scenarios work better for for different guys and i wonder if at the end of the day maybe aaron neesmith's one of those guys that would have been better on a, a bad team where he just gets more opportunities to make mistakes rather than being kind of tried to put into this to this little box of a competitive team that needs him to be a certain thing that maybe he just isn't. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a good point. And, and, you know, when he was coming out of the, uh, of the draft, um, you know, he had a reputation also as, you know, he was a smart guy. I mean, he, he, he was, he was supposed to, he could have gone to Harvard, you know, they offered him uh, and Yale, I believe offered him as well. Kind of like uh, Grant Williams was the same way. Danny Ainge loves those kinds of guys. Um, but, but, you know, he, he, he was a guy who, you know, was was thought to be, um, you know, really kind of uh, a guy who could think the game as well. Um, and, and, you know, he, he, that, he doesn't get the chance to do that uh, in, in these short in these short stints. You know, you just don't see that when you when you're playing, uh, you know, 10, 12 minutes. Um, you know, you, you need to be able to think of something in the beginning of the game that you can apply to later in the game. But if you're only playing one eight minute stretch, you don't really get to do that. Uh, so that's been a thing for him. Um, and, and I think the other thing is, you know, I hear this all the time from scouts and and, and people who are um, and agents, too. I mean, frankly, this might be something that came from his agent when he says I'm an absolute sniper is, uh, you know, what they what they want you to tell a GM or a scout is what you can do better than anybody else. Like, that's what they want you to tell is what is the skill that you have? Because everybody who's 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 draft eligible is good at everything with basketball. But you've got to be able to tell them, you know, what can you do better than everybody else? Uh, so some of that 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 selling point that you're talking about, both of you guys, um, is is that 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 comes from you know that's what the NBA people want to want to hear, or they think that's what the NBA people want to hear. And so the agents and all that are telling them, okay, this is this is this is where you're. This is where you're going to be slotted in. This is what you're going to be, um, and 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 you have to be able to sell yourself that way coming into the draft, uh, or else you know you, you might not get drafted at all. I know, but if somebody sells me a car and tells me it does not to sixteen and three point five, and then I get it, and then it does not to sixteen and eleven, I want to be furious. Do you know? Especially if I've just spent a, a lottery ticket acquiring said car. Uh, so, but I get it. I completely understand what you're saying. Like at the end of the day, you need to be able to market your skill set as best as possible. And if you're coming off a 50% three point shooting season, you market that because that's probably better than what anybody else in your draft class has. And if I remember correctly, Neesmith was very much known as the best shooter in the draft. That's what he, so, you know, it completely makes sense. And I, I know that we said we'll run for a 30, 35. So I want to end with this. And will I want your opinion too? Because my heart bleeds right now. And so you know where I'm going. The Celtics opted to move on from the highest ceiling young guy they had in Romeo Langford. My heart, honestly, I was a big Romeo guy. I thought he, his potential was limitless if he could just figure out his, um, is it how could I put it? If he could just be focused, right? If he could be focused and aggressive, he would have been. And he could still be an amazing player. They chose to move on from Romeo, keep Neesmith. Do you think that was a, the correct decision, or would you have gone move Neesmith, keep Romeo? 
Uh, I think it was the right decision. Uh, you know, I think that, that you got to remember too that that part of it is you know contractual and 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 all that. That it was uh, Romeo's uh, was heading into his fourth year. They have to make a decision on on what they're going to do. You got a little more time uh, with with uh, with Smith. Um, and you know, look, I think this team is is very much focused on uh, you know what can we do in a, in the trade market. Uh, whether it's this summer, whether it's next uh, next February or next summer, I mean they've they, they've acquired these contracts. Uh, you know, we look at Derek Smith's contract and uh, and the contract for Robert Williams, Mark, Robert Williams, Market Smart. Uh, you know, they've got all these contracts that they're going to be looking to make a trade. Um, and I think with with Neesmith, uh, you've got an extra young piece that you can kind of sweeten a pot if you're looking to get, whether it's Bradley Beal or Carl Anthony Towns, whoever it winds up being that they're, that, that they pursue with, they want to put together the best possible offer. Um, you know, I think that, that, that you want to have him around, uh, you know, as, as still a guy with potential, uh, whereas Langford, I think has kind of shown uh, in three years, you're going to have to make a decision on his contract. You let him go. Um, you know, I think with Neesmith, at least you have a guy who you can, kind of continue uh, to, to even if you don't believe he's still a prospect, you can still pretend he's a prospect. So, so I, think, <laughs> I think that will, uh, uh, I think that was, that was a factor in, 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 in that decision, keeping him around. Yeah. And then to your point, you know, theoretically, if Neesmith becomes what we're saying that he was supposed to be, like you have a longer timeline with the contract, he fits more seamlessly. And like with, with the guys that Brad Stevens seems to bring in guys that are on a little bit longer term contracts, like, this, the the amount of minutes that Romeo Langford would have needed when you're still not sure what he is and your timeline's running out, like th- those opportunities just weren't going to open up. And so I think Neesmith just pushes the, the the goalpost back a little bit as far as having to firmly make a decision. And hopefully within that time frame, if he develops and he pops at some point, he's actually giving you exactly what your team is kind of missing right now, that you're still trying to find a way to, to plug in. And, yeah, you know, and- Okay. And look at Derek White, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of what you would hope that that Langford would have become. Uh, you know, maybe a little uh, a little less uh, with the ball in his hands, but 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 that's kind of what what you were hoping Langford would have been, become. So you bring in a guy who's going to block Langford for minutes, anyways. I'm still sad. I understand. <laughs> yeah, we we I'm didn't hear you all much. Of that. Yeah, your sadness, Adam. You can you can <laughs> you're, you're entitled to that. It, it, it pains me. I think I just got myself super invested in it. I think if I remember correctly, that was my first season where I'd really committed to covering the team all year and like um people actually listened to us to an extent. So and he was that draft pick, right? So I was kind of yeah. we came up together in my in my head. In my head. <laughs> he doesn't know who the hell I am. So, you know, maybe this is a one sided affair. Anyway. Sure. <laughs> I digress. Sean, thank you for joining us today, man. I really appreciate it. Before we go, I know you're doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, you're doing some stuff with Steve Borpet and everything. So do you want to let people know where they can find you and your exploits? Uh, uh, on Twitter, at Sean Devaney, that's S-E-A-N. Uh, and always at, uh, at heavy.com. You can, you can find me kicking around there. Uh, I post some stuff. Uh, and uh, uh, unfortunately, I don't have to post as much stuff because Adam does so much of the work. I mean, I try. I try. You do. You do. <laughs> as usual, you can find me over at Twitter. You know where to find me. You know where to find Mr. Will Weir. Will Weir going to be here twice a week in your ear. Weir in your ear. I'm in the rhyming schemes today, Will. <laughs> I like um, you on fire. If you've enjoyed the show, make sure you leave that five-star written review. If you don't, use the reviews maybe you just don't like leaving reviews if you enjoy something maybe that's just when you need to vent 
maybe the device or platform you're using doesn't have a review system. My boy Will's going to tell you what to do. He's the marketing expert. Yeah, spread it through word of mouth. Make sure you're telling your friends. Go to your local coffee shop. Tell your barista. Let them know that, hey, Celtics Blog Podcast is the place to be. Come join Will, Adam, and Greg Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Do you know what? Just to make me even more sad, my favorite coffee, coffee shop just closed down. Oh, gosh. Going out on a bad note here, Adam. This is a sour well, note. Went there, yesterday, went there yesterday with my daughter because they did breakfast and stuff. So I'm like, yeah, do you want to go to that coffee shop, the cafe? She was like, yes, please. Drive down there. Gone. Heartbroken. Oh, Heartbroken. Had to go somewhere dead. Weren't happy about it. <laughs> right, everybody enjoyed the game. Cause, I hope you enjoyed the game because we recorded before the next game. We'll be back on monday yeah we'll be back on monday for your regularly scheduled celtics goodness ain't disrespecting you hate as i ain't sweating your opinion y'all been testing my patience never did it for a check i've been impressed with the famous just rather be creative than stressing my wages ageless every time i lay a verse down one play at a time keep it moving like a first down and at the end of the day i can say that i made this mj never made it to the major still he chased greatness expected that he might fail and i might too i might never get to pop Champagne celebrating with the crew This ain't everything I am It's something that I do